You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello, welcome to Knowles Quality Control. I'm your host, Ben Meyerson of Tomahawk Nation. It's been an interesting day uh, in the Florida State football universe. There's a lot of uh, interesting stuff going on online, on Twitter specifically, if you guys haven't seen it already. Uh, but we're going to be talking about a few things today. We're going to be talking about the obvious news that's going on. We'll also be talking about the spring game, some takeaways that we have from it uh, in today. I'm joined by my guy, Tommy Meyer, over at Tomahawk Nation, and Perry Costadekas, the editor of Tomahawk Nation. And I know I nailed the pronunciation of his name there because I asked him several times before we started. Oh, we did like three takes. <laughs> uh, anyways... We have some interesting stuff going on here, just to say the least. I'm just going to start uh, sharing my screen over so you guys can see Tomahawk Nation's Twitter. And we can talk about the news of the day. Amarius Mims is on campus at Florida State. Obviously, this would be one of the biggest stories that has ever happened in the Mike Norvell era, if not the biggest. Uh, obviously, there's, you know, that story from December. I don't know if anyone remembers yeah, that. Some remember random that. recruit, yeah. Yeah, yeah, whatever <laughs> happened there. But uh, there's a lot of intri- interesting stuff going on. Like you can see, our Max Escarpio of Tomahawk Nation 
is over there at the Moore Center right now. You can see some of the pictures he's been taking. Uh, Amarius has been at the Moore Center since about 1030 this morning. Uh, he, I, I was there myself around 1130. I drove there as fast as I could. He was he was there with uh, Alex Atkins, Mike Norvell. And, you know, Mike, you know, waved over to us at the media, you know, I, at least some of us, uh, you know, maybe not all of us. But <laughs> as you can see, uh, it's things are getting really interesting and uh, things are heating up right now. So first off, Tommy. What do you think this would mean for FSU if this were to happen? Because I will say today is April 14th. It's 4-14, a significant day for Seminole fans, if you didn't know, 4th and 14. Um, would be a hell of a day to get a commitment from the top transfer prospects. I think it would be huge, and I, I think it would take some of the sting off of, you know, the fan base – Thinking like you know that Mike Norvell's not doing anything, like nobody's nobody's invested. This program's not invested. Like all the like yada 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 you hear. I think that landing a guy like him would be major for this program going forward, especially at that position. Yeah, especially agree there on just the investment. Like you have people excited right now and donating. We see like the rising spear rolling and everybody getting on that train. If this works then that's just validation to everybody who is committing to this program. And it kind of amps things up and gets things right back on the right track. Yeah. And you want to talk about positive momentum for your, <laughs> for your program. This would be, I, I mean, like you said, Perry, I think this would be the type of thing that could, I want to say get Seminole fans off of Mike Norvell's back, but it would be the sort of move that, uh, you know, when you hear Seminole fans question the direction where this football team is going, not that that would answer all the questions, but it would certainly silence a lot of the people who are loud right now and who are saying, you know, what is this team doing? And, and, and I think for me, the thing, if you're a Florida State fan, the thing that has to be most exciting is that you're bringing in a potential NFL player at the position that you desperately need it the most. And that's the truth of that matter, because Florida State has just not been where they have been at since they were in the Jimbo Fisher days when they were producing offensive linemen in the NFL every single year. I mean, you can look back at the NFL four or five years ago, the amount of guys who were in the league from Tallahassee, that that number just isn't the same right now. And no, I think I think in terms of this commitment, well, you know, let's transition over to. What Mims has actually done at Georgia this past year, the first thing I wanted to bring up is just where he's been lining up positionally. And this is all from PFF, uh, so everyone can see. He lined up primarily, or sorry, exclusively as a right tackle for Georgia all of last year, 121 snaps. Uh, really, they were using him on and off and really to supplement injuries. He wasn't a full-time starter by any means, but – you know, this is the type of player, and I know our Adam Brown from, from X's and Knowles, who does excellent, great work, our offensive line coach for all of us, was, was saying that this kid is a premier tackle. He's going to play left tackle. If not, he's going to play right tackle. But it does seem a, like a thing for Florida State where he would slide into that left tackle spot. And then if you want to talk about 
the moves that happen after that, well, what's happening next to me and, and, and let's bounce this around a little bit. I think what would happen is that you, you stick in him at that left tackle spot. You keep Les Harris at right tackle where we've seen him. And to me, Robert Scott, he's a guard and he's, he swings over to right guard. You keep Dylan Givens, keep Dylan Givens at left guard. And then honestly, I don't, I don't know what, the hell is going on with the center position i'm still have big question marks about that personally and that's something we can spend some time on another day um but you want to talk about like in that scenario that's kind of a big question like if you're going to move him out like where where does he fall in the in the lineup or or in the depth chart like because i think he's good I, I do. I think he's good too. But I mean, what what do you do in that situation? Because I, you stick him at center, make him compete there. Um, I, to yeah. me, and we'll, we'll talk about this later. Caden Lyles did not impress in the spring game, and he's just not up to speed yet, in my opinion. He's I, and I think I do want to give him the benefit of the doubt in the sense that look, he's coming from a system that's completely different. And the language of what he's doing is completely different. Everything is different football-wise for him. So it's a tough transition. And center is one of those spots that is so tough, even on the offensive line. Um, so, you know, I don't know how the rest of that is going to work out. But if this is the type of thing we're talking about, that's only good news for Florida State. Because last year, I mean, think about where this team was in the fall. And now we're talking about – Hey, do you move Robert Scott inside? What do you do? These types of questions that we're asking now, they're much better questions to ask than what kind of depth does Florida State have? Because last year they were depending on guys they just did not want to even use last season. Yeah, if I could quote Alex Atkins quoting The Wire, it's one of those good problems. Like you have the ability to rotate those players around. You have been doing situational work where you have been repping them in at different positions. You have somebody like Mo Smith who can, like, absolutely go anywhere. You are in such a better position right now than – I mean, yeah, last year, but think two years ago when, like, literally, like, if somebody went in, you were specifically like, oh, there's going to be a sack on this play. So, <laughs> you – Florida State is in a much better position now, and that is a huge testament to what Alex Atkins has done. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And one thing I wanted to bring up – with a Marius Mims. I know we were discussing this beforehand. He finished the season with a 73.5 offensive grade. If you look at Florida state's grading from last season, that would have finished right behind Jay Sean Corbin in terms of highest graded Seminoles. And he would have been the second highest graded offensive lineman on the team. And I know Tommy, you were talking about this beforehand. It's interesting that Lloyd Willis is there at that fourth spot, but. Well, I'm trying to look at how many snaps he played. They have them at like what 16 snaps, okay? So, you know, low sample size, and you know, that's the thing with with all this you have to take into account, especially with the advanced metrics. Sample size matters, obviously. And you know, for Florida State moving forward, um, obviously, this would be an upgrade for the offensive line. But I, I think overall for the program, and you know, I want to talk about this now. How, what do you think it means for Alex Atkins, right? 
Mike Norvell, for, for these guys, the type of pressure that they've been under this offseason, just just feeling around the team. Not that there is an optimism, but to me, this this would raise Florida State, not to the level that it was before, but you want to talk about getting back on the right path to where the Seminoles want to be. This is a step in that direction if they land this kid. It's a little bit of like, hey, we're still here. Like, it's like FSU has not had the success on the field four years. Not It is just combined into a single, like, period of sadness. But <laughs> if you can prove that you can compete on this level in the new world of college football where, like, all we've heard is FSU doesn't have the funds and Miami has a crypto billionaire and all of that and like, they're not getting all the money. Like, if you can go head-to-head – and pull this off when NIL is like reported to be a huge factor in this recruitment, it really symbolizes like, Hey, like the commitment is there. The boosters and the power players believe in this current staff because otherwise they would not be putting the money towards it unless they were that like, well, God, Miami is spending money. We need to catch up. But it symbolizes like Mike Norvell is not accepting his fate. He's not like, this is year three, whatever. Alex Atkins is just continuing to raise that profile because I think no matter how this staff's tenure ends in Tallahassee, whether it like turns around, whether it ends in crash and burns, Alex Atkins like profile, he, his resume is like not untouchable, but he's got it. Like he has elevated himself. He has proven himself as a recruiter, proven himself as a leader. If he can pull off this kind of recruitment in his first year as OC, and then there's tangible improvement on the field, then he's going to be a name that everybody brings up for open positions. Yeah, he's going to be – everyone's going to be after him. I was telling somebody this yesterday. Like, he's – that talking to him, he seems like he's going to be head coach somewhere, someday, you know, and, and we're lucky to have him. Oh, I don't have any – I don't have any doubt about that. You want to talk about the position he was coming into? I mean, he, he was at Charlotte beforehand, right, where he was an offensive coordinator, and he joins FSU as an offensive line coach. And then obviously he gets the opportunity this past off season. And I, I think, like you said, Tommy, especially, I mean, in the interviews, Alex is excellent. Like, like he is, he is to me, not that, you know, Mike Norvell isn't entertaining, but Alex Atkins just brings a certain energy to the table, right. That is unmatched uh, even from the Florida state staff, in my opinion. And I, I think just seeing how he interacts with his players at practice too, I mean, Tommy and I have gotten the benefit of being able to attend all these practices, see how he deals with his players, just the daily interaction. And, I, you know, if I were a football player, I would want to play for Alex Atkins, honestly. And I'm not trying to be biased or anything. And that, that, that I'm telling you, that is totally unbiased just from the, the perspective that it, I think players really appreciate the fact that Alex is the kind of guy who is a straight shooter. He is not gonna. He's not gonna. That's a good, that's a good term for it. It's straight shooter. It's definitely, definitely hits the nail on the head. No, the fact that Mims is even considering FSU is a testament to the recruitment that Atkins put in when he was uh, Mims was coming out of high school. Because otherwise, like, what connection is there other than Jermaine Johnson transferred to FSU from Georgia? Maybe were they even friends? Do they know each other? Like, that is not a possible connection because of the work that this staff put in to create relationships, then they've set themselves up for success with not just Mims, but other transfer portal players in the future, which is the new era of college football. Because if you look, 
all these transfers, like they don't pick a random school. There's some connection either like, hey, I want to go home and play by my family or this staff recruited me at a high school. And then the staff is like, oh, we know who that kid is. And also you got the training, whatever. So them emphasizing these relationships in a way different than, hey, come play with us. Like they have emphasized the human being connection and that's just paying, paying dividends already. And that's just a testament to, I mean, guys like Alex Atkins, guys like Mike Norvell in the relationship they built with this kid up and through his recruitment process. Um, and you want to talk about another name too. They're going to be bringing in Julian Armella this summer, right? In terms of potential NFL offensive linemen, if you can, technically you're not bringing Armella in, but you get what I'm saying. You bring both of these guys in, in the span of a month, I, uh, that is just taking Florida State to a place that hasn't been since, I mean, since the last five years. And as a student for the last four years at Florida State, I can tell you uh, that it is not, this has not been what it's going to be moving forward. And, and I think for a guy like Mike Norvell, I mean, this would just be such an impact splash moment. You know, I think people, for me at least, I go back to that Miami game. That's one of the big moments. That could be the big turning point of Mike Norvell in at Florida state. And to this would be the follow-up on that. You want to talk about getting one over on Miami again. That's another way to do that, Mike. And if they're able to lock this down and make this happen before he leaves campus this weekend, um, man, it would just, it, it, it would be huge for this program. And that's the thing locking down or not even locking down, but like being like in his mind, like, Hey, I'm, need to go to FSU before he heads because I don't know if it's been reported that he is not going to Miami. He is doing his multi-day visit in Tallahassee. So it's assumed that he was probably going to travel down for the spring game on Saturday. We'll see what happens. But if he goes in, like, it's like Tinder dating. Like, it's like speed dating. Like, you just had a great, <laughs> great date with these people in Tallahassee. You went hard. You That's had some good food. Yeah, and then, like, he is going on another date, and he's going to be like, oh, mm-hmm. like, she does this. Like, I mean, again, he's not going to Miami. He's going to Fort Lauderdale. They're playing in the soccer stadium, and now we're at uh, Miami. But he's going to get, like, that lifestyle. Like, he's going to get, like, the appeal. Like, Mario Cristobal is from that area. He knows how to sell Miami. He knows how to sell South Florida. So he's going to get, like, everything dangled in front of him. Oh, did, absolutely. Yeah. Did Norvell and his staff do enough this past two days? I almost said this weekend. My brain's already broken. I think you can. Oh, sorry. Uh, and then I was going to say, well, they have to navigate like certain outlets reporting certain things. And so now there's another hurdle in this recruitment. It's not something that ends it. It's not something that like is a knife in the whole hope, but like you're sitting there enjoying dinner, pounding around, being like, ha ha ha. And then all of a sudden the kid's phone blows up from coaching staff, from friends, from everybody saying, did you commit? And so like, that's something they had to navigate. That's another hurdle in all of this. So did they do enough? Are they doing enough before he had done all the other visits? And he even went out and publicly said, he was like, I haven't committed anywhere yet. What, whether or not like, that's just what he said on Twitter or, or not, but that's what he wants the people to know. Like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, he liked the post on Twitter himself from the, the report of 247 saying that he isn't committed anywhere. So if you want to believe anyone, believe the man himself. Right? I know. Yeah. Coming straight from the horse's mouth. 
Yeah. Yeah. Like he might have been like, oh, I would love to play here. And then like maybe like some sports staffer was like, oh, he said he would love to play here. And then it escalated. And again, like not to say that that report is like maybe they jumped the gun. We don't know if it's false. We don't know if it's true. We know things are angling towards a direction that is favorable towards Florida State. But like, again, it's like dating. Like you just got off. Like unless it's a terrible, terrible one, like you leave that day going, they might be the one. <laughs> Yeah, like Miami's like, just like the reading heavily. <laughs> They're well, liking all the tweets, me. hopefully. <laughs> and I think from Mim's side of things, um, I, I I will say too. It, it seems it seems like he's gonna be here for the weekend. Like like I, I I've heard not reporting or, or officially saying anything, but it seems like. His hotel, his hotel stay is scheduled through Saturday. And he said Miami's spring game is Saturday. So that should certainly, I don't want to say complicate things, but it makes it makes it that much more interesting. And I think in terms of that report that was supposedly put out last night, uh, what I'll say on that matter, it, it's, it's pretty simple. I don't think the coaches or anyone inside Florida State put out that information. I know that. So um, in terms of, where everything is headed to me nothing's decided yet but the kid could certainly be leaning a certain way and he may have had certain conversations with certain people let's say third parties outside of the program so in terms of where that leak is coming from we know that isn't from mike norvell and his staff and i can tell you this without knowing they're pissed right now yeah. i know they're pissed about this situation in terms of what happened last night um you know and uh, I'm not saying it's going to complicate things, but we'll certainly see how this all yeah. plays out. It's not like they reported like something bad. So like, it's not like a travesty. It's not the worst, like worst thing he saw was everybody. No, they, they didn't pull an Adam Schefter, man. They didn't pull yeah. an Adam Schefter. <laughs> but like, it just doesn't help. Like, it's like literally like, again, like I keep going back to the date thing, which is a weird thing to do when like talking about athletes and like, but <laughs> It's like you're texting your friends like, yo, I for sure got her. Like, this girl, like, she's the enemy. And then, like, some one of the friends texts the girl and be like, oh, so you're – and then she's like, no. Well, it's not. So, like, it's just such a weird dynamic in recruiting always. There's always all this jealousy, pettiness, like, weird feelings, pressure on the kid. Like, it's his second go-around. He knows what's up. He knows what he's looking for. It's all professional. They're still pulling out the big stops, but – he doesn't want to deal with like just weird pettiness or anything like that. So to put that into the situation just sucks. Yeah, nobody wants to deal with it. <laughs> no, of course not. And, I am uh, kind of wondering if they're like, if they can use the, if they can use like the selling point of Jermaine Johnson, you know, coming from Georgia, you know, starting at Florida State, becoming like all ACC, you know, now he's projected to be in the first round, not the fifteenth pick. I wonder if they can use that as like a a selling point to another Georgia player, if that's even in the, the mix at all. Well, well, I think the thing for me that stands out is this is a Georgia kid, too. You want to be talking about know. close to home? Miami is a lot farther away from home than Tallahassee is. I mean, yeah. <laughs> well, Fort Lauderdale, yeah, I guess more specifically. Um, but we'll, we'll see how this all plays out. Obviously, the next 48 hours are crucial right now this commitment could happen five minutes from now 
it could happen, you know, 36 hours from now. It couldn't, it could be a month from now. Like, uh, obviously, what's going to be happening next in terms of if he visits with Miami or not, how long he is there, if he leaves campus from Tallahassee, that's all the things we're going to be paying attention to. And I'm sure you can see over on Tomahawk Nation, on our social media, on our website. You can see the latest that's going on over there, and we'll keep everything up to date with oh, that. So make sure you go check that out. You're making my editor heart so happy. Just a light <laughs> plug. Um, I do want to transition to something else though, because we we, we could spend we could spend like a lot of time on this whole discussion, but just we're just excited. speculating at this point, and it it is very exciting. Um, but it's one of those things that you just never know until you know, and we'll certainly see how the next couple of days go but the spring game was this weekend it was kind of to me that was a very strange format for a spring game i don't know about you tommy but sitting in the booth i was very confused what was actually going on in the beginning yeah i remember i I even turned and looked at austin and i was like man it feels like we're just at practice like it was so weird i i don't understand why? I mean, I guess I see it like in hindsight, but at the time, I didn't understand why that that format yeah, was. They did it last year as well, and so I think that's just Mike's thing. I haven't looked into how he did it at Memphis exactly, but I think he is pretty much. I'm paraphrasing, saying screw it, <laughs> we're just still gonna get a practice in. Like you guys can enjoy some eleven on eleven and make it look like it's a game, but like that's a, a good spring. Time. Yeah, a spring game in everybody's mind is you draft two teams. It's Garnet versus Gold. It's a real game. They keep score. And I don't think FSU did a good enough job putting that out there. Like, the media – Well, I mean, ACC ACC Network really dropped the ball, it seems, this week. They hyped it up like it was a real game. They dropped the ball on the actual broadcast side of things because they would just cut out. Because they didn't know what was going on either. They thought it was a game, but then they realized it was practice, and they're like, oh, nothing important is going to happen. But so for the team, great spring game. Like overall, like good work. Like they got the reps. They got their stuff figured out. They had a crowd around them. They dealt with all of that. For the fans, if you got them for free and you're a student, congratulations. <laughs> you got a free practice. For everybody else who had to pay $10, that's $10. For people who had to drive up, and attend that game and pay for a hotel and do all that, I feel bad for you. Because yeah. while it is good for the team, it's not like a huge production. You had some like D-list country star perform after. <laughs> um, the coolest uh, game or concert they've ever had after a spring game was Willie's first year when they had like vanilla ice and salt and pepper. And that was like remember the, that. Yeah, the only <laughs> legitimate spring game concert. But yeah, as far yeah. as like format and whatever, like it is not entertaining to the people, but you have to kind of separate that, like being the annoyance that you didn't get a witness, like Jameis Winston throwing a bomb in his first play for a touchdown and be like, all right, well, they look better. Like just overall, in terms of execution, in terms of body, in terms of just depth, appearance, whatever, they look better overall. And Triple Option actually did a great video, like looking back on it and kind of separating the well, the broadcast sucked and the format sucked, but the team, though, but like, the team, that's pretty good. One on one. Well, and I think some, I you know, 
just kind of reading the tea leaves of what fans are saying afterwards and what the media discussion was, there was some sense of like, oh, the passing game didn't look good. They didn't they didn't throw it for like four hundred yards. I, I I don't know I don't know about you, Tommy, but my whole impression of this spring session from what we've been seeing in practice. This this team protects the quarterback to, to the old in in a way that they should right in that where they they have the green jerseys on they don't let them touch him and, and for a guy like Jordan Travis who is using his playmaking his his play extending ability so much it is like the worst display of his skill set in my opinion and and yeah. and for me the spring period Tommy. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but it was really him working on progressions, reading the field, uh, being a more nuanced passer, those, those sort of things where he can't play on all the advantages that he has as an athlete. I think that's – even going back into the Willie Taggart days, I think that's why people thought that Travis like wasn't the best quarterback and they were like, oh, we want Hornybrook or we want Blackman. Like, um, because, you know, he doesn't get touched. He doesn't get to use his like most useful asset with his legs, you know, in practice. So you don't see it. And now that he's developing a passing game and he's developing, being able to read the field, go through his progressions, like you said, and he's got better wide receivers, more experienced wide receivers to throw to. I think that he's going to take a, another step this season. And I hope he stays around for another season. Well, that's what people don't, I think if people attended practice more often, like on any level, they would realize it is ugly. <laughs> practice is practice for a reason. Like they make mistakes constantly. And that's what like you are repping for when you have to do it perfectly. And so like you said, like he is not getting the chance to just take off for a hundred yards because what's the point of that? They blow it like, dead, Mike. It's the second yeah. he gets out, they blow it dead. The second he gets out, they blow it dead. They can't touch him anyways. Like who knows if it's even real. Like honestly, the only true like reps are like the running plays because like everybody's actually getting contact, but even then quick whistle, blah, blah, blah. Everything's angled towards the defense. The defense has all the advantages in spring, which is why if the defense is ahead of the offense, you're good. If the offense is blowing out the defense, then you are like, that's when you're in trouble. So overall, like Travis has his issues. We know the mistakes and flaws that he has to work on and improve, but like you mentioned, the fact that he's focusing on progression, the fact that he's focusing on the accuracy, the throwing, the timing, means that he is trying to take that next step rather than just being like, yo, I'm an athlete. This receiver is going to be open or I'm going to run it. Yeah, and I think with Jordan this year, it's going to be about progressing as a passer. His his ability as a runner, like like no one has ever doubted that. His, his like I said, his play extending ability it just gives him a different margin of error that you see from traditional packet pop her pocket passers, where uh, uh, a pocket passer if he misses his first read, if he doesn't get the play right within the first two and a half seconds of the play, you're kind of screwed. Jordan Travis, that is not the case. So if you think about him versus a guy like even Tate, right? Tate Rodemaker, Tate Rodemaker every advantage plays to his skill set in the spring. I think that's why people become so positive about him in the spring. And, you know, Tommy and I have discussed this personally a lot off air, how he'll have a great drive. He'll, he'll put together five or six passes. And I remember there was one day specifically, Tommy knows exactly what I'm talking about, where he drove the ball down the field into the red zone. And then he made 
oh, the worst read I've ever seen in my entire life. I'm not even gonna lie. Like like he made just just an awful read, and that's the up and downs of a guy like Tate who takes those chances, right? Who's, who goes for well, the next what, play. What, what Perry was saying though, like you know, it's practice still, but no, I do agree. I know what you're talking about. It was that interception at the corner of the end zone. Where yeah, I just, like just, uh, man, I don't even want to bag on him, but it, it looked, it looked bad. It, it, it was just one of those plays where, in the moment, as I saw it happening, I was thinking to myself, "No, he's not actually going to throw this," and then he did. And the, it, it, I will say, his ball placement wasn't terrible, but just, I mean, just the decision. He yeah, the decision the making there, man. It, 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 you just can't do those sorts of things, even if you're trying to push the ball in practice. Like, like Tommy and I say, they're trying to not make mistakes on purpose, but they're pushing the envelope, right? In these practices, he was doing a little more than that. I mean, it was just it, it was just a risk he shouldn't have taken, and I think that's something you see from him consistently. It's that inconsistency that he has, right? Where he has those plays. Uh, I, I remember watch, I was watching back some of the spring game footage, and there was one just great sideline pass that he made, um, back shoulder, like like just ridiculous ball placement, put it right where you want it. And then he went and made a boneheaded play because that's just what he does. Uh, and I think talking about this quarterback discussion overall, that's the main thing I want to say to Florida State fans who maybe if you're doubting Jordan at all, this this whole spring situation it it placates to a guy like Tate so much more than it does Jordan and it just to his advantages. So once they actually get into playing real football, it, Jordan Travis is an awesome football player. He is a much better football player than Tate Rodemaker is. So there's no question about that in my mind. And I I think also I want to pivot this discussion to this. How much do you guys think? the offensive line, the new wide receivers they brought in, how much can that make life easier for Jordan? I mean, obviously, there's a big transfer that could happen today, even potentially. But as the roster sits right now, according to our outlet, at least, Tomahawk Nation, um, how, how do you think things stand for, for, for Jordan, especially you, Perry? Because I know you haven't really gotten to see practice like we have as much. Looking at that spring game, do you feel like things are – improved enough around Jordan to where they, they can elevate the team a little bit and it, it will make life easier for him because I think part of why we may, we may have seen struggles from him at any point is just because he doesn't have the support around him that he needs. Yeah, and especially like the offensive line is where it not needs to be, but it was serviceable last year. He lost a player, it kind of faltered off a bit, but they did a pretty good job protecting Jordan last year. Where it really, really hurt him was, as you mentioned, the receivers. Like, he had the help from Corbin. He had Ward to be able to hand off. And, like, they were fantastic. But, <laughs> hey, Dad. What's up, Adam? How you Hi, doing? Coach AD. <laughs> but the fact that they have basically flipped this receiver room, they have added talent to the talent they had. Like, Pokey Wilson's still good. Keyshawn Helton's still reliable. Um, Ja'Kai Douglas is literally everything. So, like, you can match him as a receiver, but he is, like, good. Like, he is probably somebody who benefits from Jordan's skill set the most because he just gets open because of the terrifying part of Jordan's legs. You add in them, and then you add in a consistent experienced receiver like Pittman. You have Winston Wright, who maybe possibly could 
Yeah, I think the timeline on him, I don't yeah. want to speculate Perry too much, but it does seem like they Norrell's could have optimistic. Him. Yeah, like but he's been optimistic yeah. about players before, like last year, um, right. Emmett Rice, like he kept being like mm-hmm. he Yeah, could be. I, I don't know. Same with that. uh Hampson Nezardine, like Norvell with injuries a little bit ambiguous, but Losing Winston, but he didn't it. totally shut down the idea that he wasn't yeah. like, "Oh, there's no way he's available," yeah, he's right? Which I think is a a good I think sign he because too. I mean, he actually came out and said, "Like it's like he's going to be out." Was that was that Briggs? Pretty sure it was Briggs. I, yeah, I think it, it may have been Briggs. Yeah, but I, think I remember that, at the press conference. He was like, "He's done. He's done for the season." Yeah, he's done that once. Yeah, um, but Johnny Wilson, if you can take a step and be that big body receiver, you need that. That's the only real main concern I have is that there isn't that consistent big body break um, coverage be open player. But Jordan can hit the open man. Jordan kind of squeezed in those windows. He's not Aaron Rodgers when it comes to squeezing in the window. But, like, he can hit the open man. He has accuracy. It's funny because you mentioned, like, how good of an athlete it is. He is. And people process that he's good at running the ball and that he is talented there. But they don't realize he was the number 26 ranked quarterback, according to PFF, last year, which is like more than you can ask from a quarterback usually at the college level. Because sometimes your, your quarterback is hampering you. And like the fact that you have an athlete that can actually give you wins and actually lead you to victory is more than you can ask for at this level. And yes, he has his flaws. Yes, he needs to improve. But I think that the receiver talent that they brought in, in addition to the offensive line bolstering maybe with a little bit more, a little bit of sprinkle on top, will help out. But I think just adding those pieces around him is going to elevate his game. Just the same way we saw it elevate last year from the year before. Like, he takes a step up each year. Year three is usually when we see that progression from a quarterback. And I'm glad you mentioned that part about Jordan being graded so highly because I think there was – I'm just going to bring this up from PFF. I was, as you were talking, um, his time to throw when, when you order in terms of division one quarterbacks, he was at 3.25 seconds. That's fourth highest. The only guys higher than him are guys like Caleb Williams, Malik Willis, Timmy. I mean, and I don't know if that's a testament to Jordan's athleticism, the offensive line or both. I think it's probably a mix of both. Right. Um, yeah. It just goes to show that if if I, I I think if you can give Jordan the ability to to have those quick throws built in to have better receivers who are going to get possession of the ball, it should make life that much easier for him. And he was under pressure on forty percent of his dropbacks last year. That is an insane number. I, even when you consider the fact that he is a running quarterback who's going to break outside the pocket and be under pressure when he's on the move, that's still that idea that four out of 10 plays, he's under pressure. That just can't happen again. And to me, obviously you mentioned the receiver thing, Perry, and we'll talk about that a little more, but I think the thing for me that is the most important is that offensive line, because when you talk about the running game, I mean, I think in the ACC, this team ranked dead last in run blocking grade. They were 52.6 or something like that. Um, that is just god awful. Like, like there's no getting around that. That's a testament to Corbin right there. <laughs> yeah. 
No, seriously, if they just improve to an average or slightly below average run blocking, pass blocking to where it's not such an Achilles heel, man, for a guy like Jordan Travis, I just think it's going to make a a world of difference. And you saw how good the running game was last year. I mean, they were the second best running attack in the ACC by most metrics. So, look, I think the receivers are the room that I'm still the most worried about. And – that to me is still that weakness that you don't have questions answered at. But if we're talking about what's more important than the other, or if one is more important than the other, the offensive line for me is so important because of how much this team is focused on the run because of how much they are going to be relying on Jordan Travis. You have to keep him upright. Yeah. And that's, and that's the other thing is that, they need to keep Jordan Travis healthy this season. Obviously, part of that is on him, right? It's not all the, the team's fault around him. But to a certain extent, this offensive line needs to be able to protect him in a way they just worked, right? And for, for me, having a full season of Jordan Travis is the most important thing for him this year. If you lose Jordan Travis for two, three games, it and is the, not going to be pretty. The offensive line situation is just going to be that more like much exasperated, like because you have a pocket passer now, and now you have to have an offensive line that can, can hold the pocket. You know, Jordan or Tate's athletic enough to run, like he's shown that. But he, that's traditionally when I see him in, it's like the run threat is not as big as you would see with Jordan Travis. You know, he can throw the ball and he makes mistakes, like I mentioned earlier. But the run threat just isn't there with, with Tate. And I think defenses know that. Oh, absolutely. Like they, they would just play Florida State a, a completely different way. Right now, if you're a defensive coordinator preparing to play the Seminoles this fall, you start with Jordan Travis. That is your starting point. You are building your defense and what you're going to be doing schematically around his ability. And not just only his ability as an athlete, but – to me, his explosive playability because he is like you like you mentioned Perry about ten minutes ago. His ability to extend the play and create downfield for guys like Jakai Douglas or Johnny Wilson or all these new targets, Micah Pittman that he's going to have in, in those breakaway plays. That's where you really get hurt as a defense. So, yeah, I think part part of, of the team being better is going to be that offensive line improvement. But I still think the wide receiver room is not where it needs to be. And, you know, we can talk a little bit about that now. I wanted to touch on what, what did you guys think were some of the most underwhelming parts of the spring game? I want to start with you, Perry, because I know, you know, you're outside watching and you're not at practice necessarily. So this is the first kind of fresh view you get to see of these guys. You know, it isn't really something you can get too mad about at a spring game. I'm kind of going like the fan mindset here, but like where there weren't too many explosive plays. Like the defense won the day, which again is a good thing. You want the defense outperforming. You want the defense showcasing it, especially when they know the plays and especially when they're the same plays over and over. And it's in that kind of situation. But I think the coolest pass play we saw was – Travis to Trishon Ward on the side, like he had a nice little like sideline grab. Outside of that, I mean, it was the play calling again. Like I don't know what was put in there. I don't know if they told Travis not to push it. 
you don't know what is going on in that situation, but we didn't see like a cool like forty yard pass last no, year. I was, was. Oh, I was gonna say the one one play you could have had that would have been that play was Jakai Douglas when he got defensive pass interference. Oh, well, he should have got it two times in my opinion. <laughs> I know I'm a Jakai Douglas guy, you know, but but there are two instances where he's running downfield, and that's the kind of thing you expect from him in, in the fall when we talk about Jordan breaking the pocket, finding guys downfield. It's going to be a guy like Ja'Kai Douglas who's going to be running wide open when the de- defensive backs are waiting four or five seconds and they're still playing. That's the kind of explosive plays that we expect to see. And maybe we just don't get to see that because of the formatting of the spring. Yeah, and we I didn't think- see, like, Ward go on a wheel route. Like, we didn't see anything, like yeah. – again, like, that could just be how Norvell fixed it. He didn't want to, like, be all flashy just to impress the people there. Like, he wanted them to get a legitimate work day. But last year when you had McKenzie versus Travis, like you had Malik McLean catching a huge pass downfield. You had everybody like rotating, like making plays. But if the, again, that could just have not been the focus of the team. They could have probably cared less. About I dropped a wrapper on my dog and he freaked out because he can't see anything because he has a cone on his head. But it just, the spring game format didn't lend itself to explosive plays. So I say it, can you hear him freaking out? I say it with like a grain of salt that there were no huge pass plays, but just the like football fan in me who likes excitement and hoopla, like it would have been nice to see like a 50 yard bomb. Cause Travis has that deep arm. One of the best throws we saw from him was in the Jacksonville state game last year when he was, like initiated that comeback by bombing a deep downfield. Or the play to in, in the Miami game down the sideline to mm-hmm. who was it? Ja'Kai yeah, Douglas. Ja'Kai. So, the one in the Notre Dame uh, game to Ja'Kai. Like he has the ability to hit the open receiver, place the ball where it needs to be to let them get the yards after catch. They didn't allow him or he did not make the place to do it in the spring game, which I think affected the perception of everything. But outside of that, like Maybe the offensive line gives me a little bit of concern. Like, maybe the depth at defensive end, like, maybe gives me a little bit of concern. But, like, underwhelming, I don't know if I can really pinpoint anything specific that I'm like, oh, God. Outside of the receiver room. But, again, it's not like a – it's like a hmm. – it's, it's more just that you would have liked to see a little bit more, right? Yeah. Like you said, yeah, just, more explosive Just a little bit plays. of sprinkle. Yeah, a little bam. They were there, though. They just weren't, like, um, as apparent as – you know, what you would want to see. But like what Perry was saying, I think that he treated that as like an additional practice and it will pay off, you know, if they're practicing more in this before the season, they're going to, it's going to improve on the field. So I kind of see what his mindset is there. However, you do have to balance the fans perception because we get to see this, me and you, Ben, we get to see this, you know, twice a week, sometimes three times a week, but everyone else just sees it once the spring. So we kind of have to balance that, but I do understand why he made it like more of a practice because he's not, he's worried about worried about winning. He's not worried about, you know, what the talking heads are going to say about his explosive plays. Exactly. He's not, he's not worried about the highlights after the spring game. You know, he's not worrying about that. I think for me, I'm going to pinpoint one player actually who was underwhelming and we talked about him earlier. It was Caden Lyles. Um, I, I just thought there were a few instances where you see, see him get beat uh, from the interior of the defensive line. And I think that's the strength of this defense this year, one of the strengths. But still, to me, 
Tommy, I don't know about you, but I was trying to see more from Caden from what we've seen from spring. I, I, I just – I hadn't seen one practice or one set of practices or even a stretch of plays where I was really, really just impressed by him. And seeing what he did in the spring game, it does give me that much more pause where I some people will tell you, hey, no doubt Caden Lyles, he's going to be the starter by the time fall rolls around. I just don't know if I feel that same way. I, and I've heard, I've heard reputably people say that like people who I, who probably who know better than me. I, I I'm telling you, I, that's just not what I saw. I haven't seen a ton of him in practice, but the, if you look at it, like they're treating that game as another practice, I think they might've just been still feeling out what they're doing with the offensive line and trying to balance that with, you know, putting something for television um, yeah. I, as far as Lyles, he never really stood out to me, but I, I understand he's good. The guy's huge, and he's got good technique, but it, he's kind of just like you don't notice him. No, and I think one of the things that Atkins has been emphasizing is putting them in challenging positions. You mentioned it a whole bunch. It could be the coach speak for being like, yo, these guys are not ready, so that's why <laughs> they're not looking like that. But I'll – give uh, a little bit of trust to what Atkins is saying because I do like the fact that they are rotating around so much, the fact that they are placing players in different positions and making sure everyone gets reps at center, guard, tackle, it doesn't matter, means that they're going to struggle a bit. Like it's a little bit of like crawling before you walk. And especially for somebody like Lyles who had to transfer in and kind of figure out the new scheme, the new adjustment, like that's why it's important he's here for spring because I mean, Jermaine Johnson looked good last spring but he was not Jermaine Johnson first round pick yet but because he was here so early it helped him out so Lyles isn't where he needs to be but for the offensive line to be what it needs to be hopefully through this like offseason through workouts they're just kind of like getting time to stay by himself study the playbook study the formation study the just process that Alex Atkins and Florida State goes through by the time August hits we'll have like a way more clear idea of like how he is comfortable. Yeah. And I think that's the biggest thing for me with a guy like Caden, who's transferring in is we just don't know what it's going to look like when fall rolls around. It could look much different. I, I, I just think for me, there just hasn't been enough there yet for me to be unquestionably like, Hey, he's going to be starting. I just yeah. don't feel that way after seeing what I saw this spring and things could certainly change. And I kind of expect things to change slightly. I, I don't know to what degree, but for, for a guy like Caden, you're right. This spring for him, it, it's about getting all the kinks out, right? It's about working out all that struggle that you might have adjusting to a uh, – I, I think Dylan Gibbons said on his own podcast, a guy like Caden, he, he's learning a completely different system that he hasn't run before. <laughs> it's a completely different language than he's ever dealt with. So it's just a different transition for him. Um, but – I do want to move on to one last thing before we get out of here, because I know we're getting a little close to when we need to end. And for everyone watching, like, subscribe, uh, let us know how you guys are feeling about Florida State in the comments. Uh, and Am I pointing it the right way? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Just, yeah, down somewhere that way. Um, make sure you – Will Smith that like button. Um, <laughs> anyway. Oh man, me and my transitions just just on point today. Uh, but in terms of the newcomers that we've been seeing on, on, on campus, um, 
to me, Micah Pittman, Pittman and I saw in the com- comments earlier, um, Micah Pittman is that guy who has stood out out of all of the new transfers. Um, Micah Pittman, and actually, you know what? Trey Benson, too. Let's give Trey Benson man. a shout-out because, man, did he Thanks, look William. amazing in that spring game. I, and I think, like, going into that spring game, that's just not something that we expected being at practice. We had that not seen that all. yet from him. Uh, that to me was the biggest surprise. And I'm actually starting to really think that he's going to challenge Treshawn Ward for that number one running back spot. Yeah. Cause I mean, the reports coming out of the scrimmages where Norville would be like, yeah, he had a touchdown. He scored again today. And you're like, okay, probably from like 10 yards out. Like he hasn't been wearing a brace, which number one is like a great sign. Cause then you're like, okay, he is comfortable. He's confident in his leg. You just saw him doing normal football stuff because I the practice that I was at, like he looked okay, like he was not even okay as in like talent wise, like he just looked okay, healthy, like he looked good. <laughs> but for him to like literally be reeling off these huge runs, I think only one of his carries was not like a at least eight yard run, like he was just knocking them off. He, oh, he was averaging like, um twelve and a half yards per carry at some point. I think he yeah, he inserted himself into the like knowledge of the fan base like maybe they had kind of heard of him before but if they watch the spring game they're like oh i know who trey benton is but i think between benton and Pittman have been like the most impressive newcomers verse is just like jared verse the defensive end absolute freak he still needs to adjust a little bit and learn how to like not how to compete at this level but just kind of how to like fit into a scheme at this level rather than being the absolute freakiest athlete on the field but I'm a big fan of Pittman from like what he's doing off the field to like networking to he's making great connections. His YouTube channel gives great insight. Like I'm very happy with uh, the Oregon transfers much better than the last time we stole something from Oregon. And I think the thing that has to give you even more optimism about all those players you just mentioned those guys are going to be here for a few years. They're not just one-and-done guys at Florida State. Uh, I mean, for Trey Benson, too, I wanted to make sure I mentioned this specifically. I was most impressed by his speed. The way he was hitting the edge, once he did get just that little bit of sunlight, he looked like Florida State's best running back yeah, he was <laughs> like by far. And then it was up to the safeties to push him out of bounds. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Right, and those safeties are excellent. I mean, to me, those those safeties are going to be one of the strengths of this team this year. And they were just having – they were literally the last ones there on like three or four of those runs that he had. I think if you look back to the article I posted on, on a Tomac Nation after the spring game, he finished with about four yard or four plays of 15-plus yards, uh, seven well, carries total. Seven yards per – no, that was the team average. No, no, no. He finished with like 11 yards per carry average. He he finished the game with seven carries, 77 yards. Like this is a guy who uh, he, he, I don't want to say he's the Jay Sean Corbin replacement because they're different players. Right. Yeah. But, but in terms of productivity, he flit, he fits in right in that slot and he's going to be that guy. The one guy who to me has been a little inconsistent and, I think needs to develop a little more, but they're just still going to get some decent play out of him. This guy like Johnny Wilson, you know, it's just a little inconsistent with the drops we see from him. Sometimes the footwork isn't, 
it's just not exactly where it needs to be a lot of the time. There's some issues with that. But I think overall, you just look at him from from a football perspective, his blocking ability alone is going to be a huge part of why he's valuable for Florida State this year, even if he doesn't you know, catch a, like a ton of contested catches, which I think he will. I think he'll get his opportunity. Yeah. He'll get his opportunity, but he brings a lot of value as just a football player. In my opinion. The thing is when you see like that brief portion of the spring game, you know, he dropped a couple passes, but he's actually, he dropped some in practice, but it's not nearly as like, he must've just had a bad day or something. That was definitely his worst day. Yeah. Because I've seen him make some great catches and like and some great routes, but also you know he slips sometimes. But that's just being nitpicky. You know, I think that he's going to be in the in the rotation and probably one of the better receivers this season. Yeah, I don't think there's anything from the spring game overall that adjusted my win total or expectations for the season. Maybe only solidified them in a positive way, but. And I think it was a lot of um, like confirmation bias, not not like in a bad way, yeah, right? On either side, yeah. Right, but it's more just what what we thought going into that game, confirming that from what we've seen. And I think for the most part, uh, the one surprise you want to call it was Trey Benson, and it was a really good yeah. surprise, right? Fantastic, there wasn't yeah. there wasn't any player who went out on the field and you just watched and, them and and DJ Williams, yeah. Well. The running back room in general, like that's a staple of a Mike Norvell team. It's a staple of like what they want to do. Alex Atkins is just ecstatic over the like depth chart that they have there because Ward, Williams, Benson, and then Williams, Philly, yeah, CJ, CJ. Like that's six. Well, CJ's a walk on, so like we'll even just go. Did I only count four? I'm not good at this. This is why I write. But, like, that's at four or five capable running backs who you can stick in, and you know that they can make a play. Will they make it every time? No, because this isn't NCAA football. But the fact that you have a heavy hitter in DJ, the fact that you have these athletes in Ward and in Philly and in Benson, just absolutely – and it plays into taking pressure off Jordan. I think that's just another, another thing <clears throat> that elevates his offense because – Last year was run the ball, Jordan will hit it when it's there. This year it's you have the tools, you have the capabilities to do what you want. Can this staff and team execute that? Yeah, and I think the last guy I wanted to mention, I know we talked about him, but Micah Pittman, uh, to me, he's just going to be FSU's most reliable receiver this year. That is my biggest takeaway from the spring from the receiver room. A guy like Malik McLean. Johnny Wilson, they have all the upside in the world. They have the ability to potentially be that true X receiver that we think they may be. Micah Pittman, he's going to move all over the field. We're going to see him in the slot, outside the slot. We're going to see him in that trips formation. They're going to use him at the line of scrimmage. They're going to use him downfield. He's the ultimate versatility guy. And I don't know if he's going to finish the season with the most catches, most yards, most touchdowns, anything like that. I think from a game-to-game basis, Micah Pittman is absolutely going to be the most reliable offensive weapon uh, at the, in terms of the receiving room. And I also really liked what I saw from the backs receiving, honestly. I thought the backs, all the running backs, Treshawn Ward, Toa Feely, uh, even some guys like DJ Williams, CJ Campbell, they still looked very capable 
Um, and it's going to be one of those things that I, I think it's only going to ele elevate the offense. You have all those guys who can do all those different things. I think for a Mike Norvell offense, having that kind of versatility, all these guys who can do all these kinds of different things, receivers who are different shapes and sizes, you know, we're talking about a guy like Micah Pittman and Ja'Kai Douglas who are under six foot and who are little, you know, kind of balls of muscle, I think is what Mike Norvell referred to Pittman good. as. And then you have Malik McLean and Johnny Wilson who are just like giants, huge. right? So uh, I think for this year with, with this offense, having that diverse skill set of weapons, those guys who can do all those different things, um, it should make life easier. I just don't know what the ceiling of that room is overall. And that's, that's really what I question, you know, how much can they really improve next year? Because to me, 2023 is the year where I think it's going to skyrocket, where I think it should be even up and up and up. And I still look at 2022 not as a transition year necessarily, but for the receiver room, it's still not where it quite needs to be. And I think that's fair. I think 2022 is like a con like proof of concept year. Like we that's were in FSU was in beta the last two years. They just got out of testing. And now it's like, we're taking this to the open market, limited release. Let's see if it works. <laughs> and we'll see, like, we'll see where the ceiling of this team is. Because last year, I'm off the top guessing here. I think it was like 23, 24 points per game. They did not exceed, like, the. I think Norvell wants to hit 30. Like, that's, like, kind of his goal. In Memphis, they were high-scoring offenses. So is this year the year that they elevate just their points per game? Because the defense can take care of things. We've seen that happen. We've seen it happen the last – when they came on late last year. It was a little bit of a struggle first. But if this offense can elevate and actually put the points up, it takes the pressure off the defense. So is the wide receiver room going to elevate and at least have a baseline of where they can be consistent? Because even just a consistent room from the wide receivers is going to change things so much. It, it would be a world of difference to have that level of consistency. I mean, we'll talk about the receiver room from the offensive line. If, if they just have consistent, um, like average, not, not average level, but they not know exactly. <laughs> yeah. But if they know exactly what they're getting out of these rooms on a game to game basis, it, it's just going to change everything for a guy like Jordan Travis, where there were just so many constant question marks on, on a weekly basis with this team to me, that's the biggest thing that if you want to talk about Florida state improving themselves, um, just, just getting better, raising that win total, looking much more promising, that level of consistency, it, it, that's going to be the key this year for me in terms of from last year to this year. And I think that's the thing. If you're Mike Norvell, you gotta be really excited about that because you just didn't know what to expect at certain times last year. Yeah, they were one-score games majority of the time went either way. It was a coin flip. And in coin flip scenarios, if you do it again, that's odds, baby. Second time around, you're going to win, which is the theory, which is what they are hoping. They think that they put the platform in to be successful in the future. Last year, they put they went through all of that ridiculousness. They went 0-4 to then reel off that win streak, but then to end it with an easily winnable game against UF. Are they going to propel themselves into fall with the lessons learned from spring, with the failures from last year, and turn that into success? Yeah, and I think that's the question the staff has to be asking themselves. I think you nailed that 
Perry. And you know what? I think that's a good place to leave off today because I, I think we covered a lot of what we wanted to cover. And we'll certainly be back sometime next week. You know what? If there's a commitment, we might be back sooner than that. Hopefully there is. We'll it's like see. In 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah, 10 minutes as soon as you end the stream. Well, you know what? I'm going to check Twitter right now just in case. Uh, I, I went and looked. Okay, okay. <laughs> just, just making sure. Um, anyways. So oh, well, Hunter is, Washington entered the transfer portal. I did just see that from R. Max Escarpio. So, hey, if you, if you guys want to go read about that, I'm sure Max will probably have something up about that pretty soon. Uh, mm-hmm. So go over to Tomahawk Nation. Make sure you go do that. Uh, go watch X's and Knolls if you haven't already. Uh, they are excellent. They do excellent work. And if you want to learn more about football, that is the place to That's go. The place to go. And not just because I work with them. That is like the bread and butter of X's and O's if you want that kind of content. Just being smart. That's yep. the goal. Just smart. Yeah, if you, if you want to be a smarter football fan, go do yourself a favor. Go over to X's and O's. Uh, that is going to be it today. Thank you so much if you tuned in. Uh, we'll see what happens over this weekend. It's going to be very, very, very interesting. Hey. Uh, we'll, uh, we'll see you guys next time. I appreciate you tuning in. If you did, uh, head over to Tomahawk Nation. Peace.